love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I'm obsessed with your friend, Ron. <laughs> oh, my friend, Ron. Yeah, yeah, he's an old friend of mine, and uh, he's uh, extremely brilliant. He has a PhD in, like, optics or something like that, uh, but a wicked sense of humor. And I think that we've all been a little bit uh, worn down by the social media posts more frequently on Facebook than anywhere else, where they ask you a stupid, simple question. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what was your favorite color as a kid? Right. And then people will post blue. And clearly what they're doing is fishing for information. Right. No word has two vowels in a row. Prove me wrong. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, Ron's found a way to uh, to combat that, or at least protest it. Um, <laughs> you okay? Okay. All right. So let's let's give him a few examples okay. here. Uh, what was your favorite candy as a child? Ron writes, I loved chocolate covered corporate data mining. No word has two O's in a row. Corporate duda mining. What was your favorite meal as a kid that your mom used to make? Ron writes, corporate data mining. <laughs> and now he's taken it to a whole new level. He's creating his own memes. Let me read you what he just posted. Your mother won the lottery with a dollar amount equal to your social security number. How much did she win? (laughs) My favorite part about it is that I just keep getting updates about his posts. And I'll be in the shower and it's like, hey, uh, Ron answered another question. (laughs) (laughs) What was the first car that you drove? A 1984 Pontiac corporate data mining. (laughs) Two-tone coupe. Anyway, well played, Ron. And for the love of God, please, Facebook, ban these things, will ya? Oh, you're an angry elf. All right. There comes an end to all things. The most capacious measure is filled at last. And this brief condensation to evil finally destroyed the balance of my soul. What is that from? That's Robert Louis Stevenson from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh. We've all heard the story of Jekyll and Hyde. Written by Stevenson, first published in 1886, it was originally titled The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And this, of course, it's a classic gothic novella. Um, But did you know there was a real Dr. Hyde? And he also had 
a very dark and sinister side. Oh my. All right, so I know it's Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll, but there was a Dr. Hyde. His name was Dr. Bennett Clark Hyde. He was a prominent, well-to-do doctor in Kansas City, Missouri in the early 1900s. In 1905, he married the niece of a local millionaire whose name was Frances Swope. Uh, she was the niece of Colonel Thomas Swope. Now, the entire Swope family, they didn't care too much for Dr. Hyde. They had this weird feeling about him. They strongly opposed the marriage. They felt that he probably was marrying Francis for the money. Okay. Francis's father, Logan Swope, had died five years previously, in the year 1900. That left a grieving widow and seven children. Now, Colonel Swope decided he would relocate by moving into Logan Swope's mansion to help the family out. Um, one of the ways that he helped out was financially. He even set aside money that would be dispersed among the seven children when the time came that he passed. Uh, he also set aside a large amount of money that he originally planned on dividing up equally among the surviving relatives. But then he, um, he had an accident and he was bedridden for a while and he started reconsidering what he was going to do with his money, who okay. he was going to bequeath it to. He was always going to give the, the children their share, mm -hmm. but the rest of the relatives, that pile of money, he was considering just giving to charity. And he wasn't secretive about this. He spoke about it quite a bit, so everybody in the family knew what uh, he was considering doing, including Dr. Bennett Clark Hyde, who had just married into the family. Mm-hmm. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Colonel Swope had suffered a minor injury. It was in September of 1909, uh, shortly after he came to uh, the Swope mansion. Uh, on October 1st, 1909, Colonel Swope's cousin, J. Moss Hunton, uh, who was the executor of the estate, suddenly fell very ill. So the family physician was called, along with Dr. Hyde. Uh, they were called at the same time. And even though the uh, practice of bleeding a patient had recently, well, by this time, had kind of fallen out of favor mm -hmm. with the uh, medical world. Hyde suggested that they, they bleed him. And so he commenced in doing that. Uh, and he bled him way too much. By the time Hyde finally stopped the drawing of his blood, Hunter was dead. And the death was ruled accidental. Yeah, that doesn't feel like a medical procedure to me so much as a murder. Mm. Two days after that, on October 2nd, Colonel Swope, again bedridden, was feeling some pain. So Dr. Hyde gave his nurse a pill to give Colonel Swope. Swope's condition deteriorated rapidly. Hmm. Yeah. And then he died the next day. <clears throat> what kind of pill? Well, that was it a murder pill? It was a murder pill. Yeah. So Dr. Hyde clearly had a plan. The death of the executor of the estate, J. Moss Hunton, was a, uh, just an opportunity that fell into his lap. He legitimately was ill, but then he took the opportunity to drain him of all his blood. Mm. So then he decides after that, huh, okay, great. So I'm going to off Colonel Swope before he changes his will, which he did. Now, if he had stopped there, he might have gotten away with this. If it weren't for you meddling teenagers <laughs> in your van. So he, uh, what he did, he put together a plan that was so outrageous and so reckless. Many people wonder how he ever thought he was going to get away with this. So in December of the same year, again, 1909, the entire 
Swope Mansion suddenly and mysteriously was felled by a severe outbreak of typhoid fever. Dr. Hyde determined that they had all been drinking the water from the same well. The well water has, has been contaminated, he said. But he wasn't drinking the well water? No, no, he, he wasn't. He hadn't moved in to the mansion at this point. Okay. There were nine individuals in all between the family members, and, and there were visitors to the house as well. And the servants, they all became ill with typhoid fever. Chrisman Swope, he died right after taking some of the medicine that was given to him by Dr. Hyde. It wasn't the typhoid. Interesting. Chrisman's sister, Lucy Swope, was in Europe when she heard about her brother's death. And so, understandably, she was very distraught and upset, and she cut her trip short to return home to be there for the family. Now, she was not staying at the Swope mansion and had not had any water from the well. Mm-hmm. But? When Hyde heard that she was coming back to Missouri, he insisted on escorting her from New York to Missouri. On the trip, he gave her water from a special bottle. Now, that's some pretty damning evidence. It's pretty creepy, yeah. Yeah, but but that's but if that's not enough, interestingly, while he was away, you know, escorting her, they all started to get better. Huh. Huh. At this point, people started getting a little suspicious of the good Dr. Hyde. So they brought in some independent medical examiners, and uh, they exhumed the bodies of those who had already died, and they found that uh, they did not die from typhoid, but they died from poisoning. So law enforcement was then brought in. So an investigation ensued, and what they discovered was that Dr. Hyde had purchased typhoid germs. No! As well as other germs and a variety of different poisons. Why can you buy typhoid germs? Well, at the time, I guess you could for medical experimentation. Okay, and so if you were trying to find a cure for typhoid. Yes, if you were a doctor or had a medical degree, you could mm-hmm. buy typhoid germs. Now, if there was a doctor around here who... Would have had Hmm. access to these germs. Yeah, yeah. So his explanation was that the germs were were for experimentation and the poison that he bought at the same time was just to kill insects in his office. Mm -hmm. Yeah, strychnine. That'll take care of them. (laughs) Uh, Law enforcement. Fuck you, nets. (laughs) Law enforcement, surprisingly, was not buying it. Uh, So on April 16th in the year 1910, Dr. Hyde was put on trial for murder of Colonel Swope. Just Colonel Swope? Yes. Now, he killed more people than that, clearly, and uh, the evidence related to those deaths and the illnesses were used to show that his intention was to kill most of the Swope family so that uh, he would inherit the largest share, if not all, of the estate. Did he plan on murdering his wife? That is unclear. Many speculate that, yes, he was going to wipe out the whole family. Okay, sir, that is not discreet. Now, this was a fairly speedy trial, especially for those days. One month later, on May 16th, a jury found him guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison. However, (laughs) the story doesn't end there. His wife used all of her wealth to hire the best lawyers available that's right. The daughter of the guy he murdered spent a ton of her money getting this guy the best attorney he that money could buy. Because she wanted him out or because she didn't believe that he did it? She didn't believe that he did it. So the case... Ma'am. Wa- <laughs> the case was appealed Ma'am. 
Yeah. The case was appealed. It went all the way to the Supreme Court, where it was overturned. No! So they had a second trial. And as that was going on, it had to be halted because one of the jurors suffered a mental breakdown during the trial. So a, a third trial was scheduled. See, Ashley Judd would never have allowed this. No. So at the third trial, the jury could not agree on a verdict. So prosecutors at this point uh, dismissed the case. Oh, no. A fourth trial. What? Was was considered. But then they said, nah, what's the point? We're not going to try him four times for the same offense. So Dr. Hyde was a free man. But the story doesn't end there. Things didn't go so well for Dr. Hyde. His wife uh, ended up divorcing him in 1920. She accused him of cruelty and uh, being a violent man. (gasps) Shocker. Yeah. And so she divorced him and cut him off. His reputation and his medical career, of course, were badly damaged by the trial. And it was so badly damaged, he had to give up his practice. So Dr. Hyde ended up with no money and no career and he was forced to eke out a living as a simple laborer for the rest of his life, which ended on August 8th, 1934. Wow. So mm, maybe not the justice that he deserved. No, but I'm glad that he didn't like end up with anything. Right. And he had to uh, live well beneath what he was accustomed to right. socially. I do enjoy that. So Dr. Hyde was a dick. Um, I... <laughs> I got my information <laughs> from Cool Interesting Stuff, Wikipedia, and Murderpedia. Wow. Uh, that was a terrible plan. It was awful. It was not a good plan. People just, you know, they rolled their eyes. Ugh, more murder? Really, Hyde? Come on. And now, that thing in the middle. Thing in the middle this time around, because we're getting into Halloween season, some scientifically true facts that are pretty much as horrifying as the scariest movie ever. Number five, in 1958, a 7,600-pound nuclear bomb was lost off the coast of Georgia. Lost? Yes, near Savannah, and it's never been found. Step lightly, Savannah. Number four, hearing is supposedly one of the last senses to fade upon death based on EEG brainwave recordings. Oh, wow. So you can hear yourself take your last breath. Number three, there is a gravitational anomaly in space called the Great Attractor, which is pulling everything within the Virgo and Hydra Centaurus superclusters toward it. It lies 150 to 250 million light years from the Milky Way, which itself is being pulled toward it. Um, The scary part is that relative to us, this anomaly lies within the same plane as our own galaxy, making it difficult to observe. Essentially, we have absolutely no idea what it is. Oof. Probably aliens. (laughs) Number two, some forms of anesthesia don't numb your pain. They just make you forget that you felt it. (laughs) Oh, I don't like that. (laughs) And number one, there was once a sea scorpion the size of a great white shark. Well, that's going to be an episode. Whenever Cat makes Jethro laugh, do you get, you know, slightly aroused? Good, N- neither do we. This is The Box of Oddities. 
Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen. That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals, like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer. I don't think I can prepare myself for that. Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, I I guess that's a point. (laughs) So the podcast is called Big Picture Science and You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us, too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got a message from Bulldozer on Instagram, and uh, it took me so long to be able to play this because it was audio, and it was frustrating the <laughs> hell out of me, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't hear it and why I couldn't hear it. And uh, anyway, eventually I got it to work, and I'm so glad that I was stick to because it was so worth it. I, I wanted to play this for you, not just because it's fun, but because this accent, oh, girl... Oh my god, guys, I've never reached out like this before, um, but I just started watching an episode of South Park, and I am absolutely sure, Kat, that you are the voice of Alexa. I have no idea if this is true, but it just it just made me smile. Um, it's good to think about yous. I hope yous are doing grand, and and snuffles for your dogs. Um, that is the most charming accent. <laughs> I know. 
No, and no, I am not the voice uh, of Alexa on South Park. But if uh, South Park wants to hire me, <laughs> I am available for voice work. I I do voice for dollars. Yeah, well, you know, she's uh, also very good at not just impersonating Alexa, but um, she can impersonate the drive through woman's voice at McDonald's. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, obviously, I've got a multitude of skills for all your robot voice needs. <laughs> Alexa, I mean, Kat, tell me a story. Big fat shout out to Cheez-Its and Hot Dogs on TikTok uh, <laughs> for recommending this topic. At the southwest corner of Cornwall Village in Connecticut sits an abandoned parcel of land known as Dudley Town. Now, Dudley Town, as I understand it, was never an actual town, just a part of Cornwall. But the part of Cornwall Village where many of the Dudleys in this village lived. You know how that goes. It's like I used to live on Camp Bell Road. Um, and that was named that because a lot of the Camp Bells lived on that sure. road. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, old yeah. main farm town. Right. And that's why Guy Fieri lives in Flavortown. Because he's related to the Flavor dynasty. I think it's because he is Flavor. Mm. She has a thing for Guy Fieri. Cornwall itself is not terribly large. Uh, the population was about 1,400 at the 2010 census. Were they all Dudleys? <laughs> no, this is Cornwall. Oh, Cornwall, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but Dudley Town has a population of zero, unless you <laughs> count the ghosts. Oh. I see how I, I led into that. Yeah. So with it. I got the hook, yeah, right? You did. And, and then, then you pulled me right in. Yeah, I'm going to say more things now, but that first part was just to, hey, you should, you. I mean, you know what I was. You you, you have there. you have my undivided attention. Okay, Dudley Town is little more than a few stone foundations and cellar holes now, with narrow trails where roads used to be only traveled by the occasional ghost hunter or adventurous hiker. Now, this story starts before we even get to Connecticut. It starts in England in 1510. And at that time, Edmund Dudley was beheaded for being involved, allegedly, in a plot to overthrow King Henry VIII. I'm sure that line he was standing in was a long one. Right. The one source actually said he was beheaded just for annoying King Henry VIII. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, you know, whatever. So from this moment on, it's said that the Dudley family was placed under a curse that followed them across the Atlantic. The Dudleys and other families in this rural plot uh, created a community of farmers, millers, and blacksmiths in America with a peak number of families estimated at around 26. Okay. Now, obviously, this is years later. But it's said that eventually three of the Dudley families left the community for reasons unknown and lived out their lives in peace. It's those that remained in the town that fell to the curse. So it was the curse was was geographically limited. Yeah, which is interesting because it is said to originate in England. Hmm. Wow. Oh, anyway, one of the legends tells of the untimely death of Gershon Hollister. What a great name. I know. It was 1792, and by some accounts, he was murdered in the home of William Tanner. Tanner denied having anything to do with his death, of course. He claimed that Gershon was killed by some unknown beast, and he went on about demons and eventually became 
unstable, and he couldn't continue his life as it had been. His state remained unstable until he passed away. Now, he was stable he up was in, fine until that point. Until oh. Gershon Hollister's untimely death. Wow. In the mid-1700s, a plague swept through the town. Now, that's not terribly unusual, but having survived the plague, while many others did not, Nathaniel Carter and his family, who lived in the house once owned by Abel Dudley, decided they wanted to move out of the town. Fun fact, my friend Ron uh, actually had the bubonic plague. What? He got it from a squirrel. He's fine. Only four years later... Nathaniel Carter and his family moved to New York, not sure why they stayed in Dudley Town only for four years, but they built a log cabin. Uh, it seems, though, that the curse followed them. In 1764, while Nathaniel Carter was away from their home, their homestead was attacked by intruders, and they killed his wife and children, mm. then burned his home to the ground. Wow, that's insult to injury. When he returned, he was killed, too. That's even worse. Another bizarre tragedy affected one of the most famous residents of the region, General Herman Swift, who had served in the Revolutionary War under George Washington. In 1804, his wife, Sarah Fay, was struck by lightning while standing on the front porch of their home. Holy shit. She was killed instantly, and the general went insane shortly after. That would do it. You don't think that you'd fare well mentally if I was struck by lightning? No, especially if I had just gotten out of the Revolutionary War. Right. There's a lot going on there he had emotionally. A, he had a lot on his plate. Yeah. According to American Hauntings, Inc., John Patrick Brophy lost his wife to consumption, which, again, not terribly uncommon in those days. She had been suffering uh, for many years, but that didn't mean that he wasn't in pain after she died. But soon after she passed, two of his children vanished into the forest. What? Just wandered off and never came back? Just or? never came back. Shortly after, the Brophy's home burned to the ground oh, in an shit. unexplained fire. Wow. And then Brophy himself vanished into the forest. This has really got to negatively impact resale value. The house having burned down? Yeah, probably. That affects curb appeal. <laughs> According to David E. Phillips, a folklorist and the author of Legendary Connecticut, Dr. Clark and his wife lived peacefully in Dudley Town until one summer when he was called to New York on business. When he returned, just 36 hours later, his wife had gone, quote, quite mad. She talked of strange creatures that came out of the forest oh and God. attacked her. Wow. Now, the, the common thread here is that a lot of these people who are going mad are talking of these weird creatures, of demons, and so on and so forth. And stories about this settlement started to spread. Of course, that's going to make people not really interested in moving into the town, but also <laughs> sure. more fertile and spacious land was opening up in the Midwest and the local iron industry was winding down. So Cornwall's population was declining. About what, what year was this? Uh, the early 1900s. Okay. And why the community is not faring well is debated. Some people say it's just because 
it wasn't a well-placed community. It didn't have a lot of natural resources. It was kind of hard to get in and out of. And some people say, you know, murder demons. Right, goblins in, yeah. in the bushes. Yeah. In 1924, the land that was called Dudley Town was purchased by Dark Entry Forest Incorporated. <laughs> wow. They were promoting a land trust to investors, and they stated, this society is planned to promote forestation, to run a wood mill, to to promote conservation of bird, animal, and wildflower life, and to afford a playground for you and your children and your children's children, which sounds really nice. I think on paper. Yeah. And there are a few references to certain groups in the early 1900s using the land for skiing or horse riding. But for the most part, the grounds are absolutely deserted and no one goes on them. Well, who wants to go on a picnic with Beazelbub? Well, no, the iron industry wasn't so hot. So Dark Entry Forest (laughs) Incorporated purchased the land. That's an ominous name for an LLC. Is very White Lodge-esque, <laughs> no? More, more Black Lodge-esque, I think. <laughs> now, local historians have found no genealogical link between the Dudley family of Cornwall and the English nobleman that was beheaded by King Henry VIII. So they're saying, listen, this curse business is cuckoo bananas because there's not even a connection there. So so cut it out. Also, they've noted other factual inconsistencies in some of the rumors surrounding the region. But Ed and Lorraine Warren did come to the land and decided that, yes, it was a nest of demonic activity. Ed and Lorraine again, huh? Mm, they, yeah, they come up a lot. They huh? do, yeah. In fact, I have an upcoming episode about them. Oh, really? Well, one of their stories. Okay. In the 90s, when uh, Blair Witch Project came out, this uh, really prompted an increased interest in this abandoned, haunted village thing. And of course, being in New England and having this, you know, I mean... It fit the bill, right? Ugh, I can't. Now I'm thinking about that guy in the corner. Anyway, (laughs) um, and apparently those in the surrounding areas have repeatedly stated publicly, this is not, none of these rumors are accurate. You need to stop coming to this land. This is not for you to check out. This is not a fun place to explore. Stop it. And are people listening? Um, eh. Sometimes. (laughs) The owners of Dudley Town's property have closed it to the public, and uh, they, they are asking, as well as the neighbors of that region, are asking for people to please stay away. Uh, Neighbors in the Connecticut State Police keep a lookout for trespassers, and they are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, which to me sounds suspicious. I'm just saying. Won't you take me to Dudley Town? No, because I respect property owners. Yes, well, you ruin all our fun. I got most of this information from Only in Your State, Wikipedia, of course, The New York Times, Cursed in New England by Joseph A. Citro, and, of course, other things that I cited in the story. Yeah, okay. 
A quick reminder once again, if you have experienced anything strange, bizarre, unexpected, uh, whether it be, yeah, maybe you think you saw a ghost, maybe it was an alien encounter, I don't know. Did your recently departed mother leave you a post-it note? Share it with us, record your story, and then email it to us at curator at the box of oddities.com. You might end up on our fourth annual Halloween special. I really love getting audio messages. It's one of our favorite things. Thanks for hanging out with us again, you guys. We look forward to seeing you next time round. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Everyone's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.